If you've been with us in our series um, entitled Overcome, we've been going through the life of Jacob. And what we saw last week was that Jacob has run away from home. And, and the reason he's run away from home is because uh, when he was younger, he manipulated his brother into taking his birthright. And then when he was older, around 40 years old, he deceives his father, Isaac, into taking the blessing from Esau, his older brother, who Isaac, his father, wanted to give the blessing to. And understandably so, Esau's not happy. And so Esau wants to kill Jacob, and Jacob hears about this from his mom, who is on his side. And his mom tells him, you need to leave, and so he leaves. And so as he's heading off from home, and he's heading to this new land called Haran, where his uncle Laban is, and his, his mission is, one, to save his life by leaving home, and two, go to this new land and find a wife. And in the midst of this journey, as he's heading off to Haran to find a wife, he experiences the greatness and the power of God's grace. And it changes him. He worships God. He makes a monument. There's this sense of remorse and repentance for what he's done. And it's essentially the starting point for Jacob to go forward as the man that God has called him to be. And so he arrives in Haran, and he's probably feeling really positive emotions. He's excited. He thinks that great things are on the horizon. Typically, this is what happens right? when we experience God's grace. There's a lot of joy, and there's excitement and positivity. And so he comes to the land of Haran. And when he gets there, uh, he arrives at a well. And when he gets to this well, there's a whole bunch of shepherds around with their flocks. And what would happen is they would gather around this well and they would water the flock, the sheep. And so as he's there, he's talking with people, he's having a conversation, and then this woman comes up. And it says that he's like awestruck at this woman. She's stunning. And it's seriously love at first sight. And so he asked this woman, he says, do you want, you know, some water for your sheep? And he helps with that. And then here's his next reaction. Here's his tactic. He kisses her and then starts crying. This is not normally a good tactic, right? He's like, want some water for the sheep, kisses her, starts crying. Apparently, the woman who is Rachel loves it. Like, this is what she wanted, a man to kiss her and cry. So she runs off, and she runs home. She goes to her father, Laban. Ironically, but really, better yet, providentially, this is Laban's daughter. And she, tells, she says, listen, guess who's arrived? Jacob. And so his, his father, Laban, runs out. Her father runs out and, and meets Jacob. And then it says that Jacob lives with him for about a month. So he's found his wife, right? So much so that he couldn't control himself. He kisses her and cries. And now he lives with her a month. And he comes to Laban and he says, listen, I want to marry Rachel. I found the love of my life. And I want to marry her. And so what happens is they're having this conversation. And, and he wants to establish this family. And, and he feels as if everything is going well. But the reality is this. Jacob's life is not a fairy tale. It's real life. And real life is difficult, and there are things that happen that you don't expect. And so what happens here, because we live in a broken world where everybody struggles with being selfishly ambitious, Laban sees an opportunity to exploit Jacob. And so you would think that it would be the opposite. You would think that Laban would look at Jacob, and he knows who he is, and, and he wants to help him, and he would say, let me, let me help you. You know, let me help you start a family. What do I need to do, yes, you can marry Rachel, let's organize it, let's figure it out, I want to help you start your own family and build a home and set you up for success. But instead, he says that he wants to have him serve him. 
He's like, I can't just give away my daughter for free. You need to serve me for seven years. See, Laban has two daughters. His oldest daughter is named Leah, and his youngest daughter is named Rachel. And it says that Leah has weak eyes. That's how the text reads. And what it's saying is that Leah is not as stunning as Rachel. She doesn't have that attraction and that passion that, that caused Jacob to erupt in kissing and crying of Rachel. But Rachel is stunning. She is beautiful. And so she is the younger daughter, and Leah is the older daughter. And Laban here, as you can tell as we're hearing Alan read from Genesis 29, he's not a model father, right? Instead of looking to set up his daughters and Jacob for success, he's trying to figure out how he can use them. He's also not a very creative man because Leah's name means cow, which I'm sure she was thankful for. And Rachel's name is, means you or a female sheep. They're a shepherding family. So he's like, I got two daughters. One's going to be cow and one's going to be female sheep, you know. And what's interesting about that, right, is his lack of creativity in names is not just what's curious. It's that he also treats his daughters like livestock, right? He doesn't care about helping them succeed. He uses them as if they're in a marketplace. I'll give you Rachel if you give me seven years of manual labor. And so Jacob, who's in love, agrees he's going to do anything. And so he serves Laban for seven years, manual labor, hard labor, shepherding all types of other stuff. And it says it felt like a few days to him because he's in love. And after a few days is over, it's time for the wedding. It's time for them to be united. And he's excited. And here's what he says. He says, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. Now listen, guys, the Bible is real, okay? If you're wondering what that means, yes, you're right. That's what it means, okay? He's essentially saying, it's time for the wedding night, okay? It's been seven years. I kissed and cried, and now I've waited. It's time for the wedding night. It's time for me to consummate the marriage. It's time for this union and our life together to start. And so Laban throws a feast. They would throw these huge wedding feasts. Oftentimes, they would last an entire week, and they were known to be feasts with a lot of alcohol, okay, a lot of partying. This was like, I mean, he's waited seven years, so he's going hard, okay? He's really excited. He's in it. He's partying. He's high-fiving people, and he's like, I'm going to marry Rachel. It's time. So at the end of the reception, the first night, he goes to the wedding room. And when he goes to the wedding room, he's, you know, a little tipsy. He's been drinking, so his senses are failing him. And his wife comes in. And, and the custom is that they would veil the bride. So she comes in, and she's covered. So he's, you know, he's already having a hard time seeing. And, and you know, he's, she's covered. It's dark. And, and to be frank, they have sex, right? They consummate the marriage. And he passes out, and he goes to sleep. And it says that he wakes up in the morning... And this is what he says. It's Leah. <laughs> Imagine that, right? He's about to turn over for pillow talk. Like, what do you want to do tomorrow? And it, it's Leah. His heart drops and he realizes that he's been deceived. And he's finally feeling what that feels like. You have to put yourself in that perspective, right? Jacob is a deceiver. This is why he had to leave his home is because what did he do? He went to his father and he covered himself, right? 
He put on Esau's clothes and he put goat skin and hair on his arms because Esau was hairy. And he comes in covered to his father who is about to die and whose senses are failing. And he gives his father food and he gives him wine. And as he comes in covered, as his father's senses failing and his father's had some wine and some food, he deceives his father into giving him something that wasn't meant for him. And now he has been drinking and his senses are failing and his bride has been covered and he takes something that wasn't meant for him and he's been deceived. You can imagine what he's feeling, right? He probably understands a little bit more his brother's rage and why his brother wanted to kill him. He probably understands more his father's disappointment and his father's anger and sadness at the fact that his son had manipulated and and deceived him. And so he thinks about what to do, and and the reality is there's nothing he can do. So as Laban comes to him, and they're having this conversation, he's saying, why did you give me Leah? Uh, the, the, The deal was for Rachel, and then Laban, who acts a lot like Jacob by showing no remorse, he essentially says, it's not our custom. You know, we, we don't give the younger before the older. And I mean, I didn't tell you that, but this is how it's going to work. He shows no remorse for his actions, Laban. Similar to Jacob, who showed no remorse until he met God in his grace for his actions of deception. And so, what does Jacob do? He, he knows that he has to be married to Leah, but he serves Laban for another seven years because he wants to marry Rachel. And so 14 years later, he finally gets to marry Rachel. This wedding night was probably different. He doesn't drink at all, right? He checks under the veil, okay? Any sisters I don't know about? And he's finally married to Rachel. And you would expect the story maybe to, to develop a little bit Jacob, right, and how he's feeling and how he's processing all of this, what it feels like to be deceived. Surely this was a growth moment for Jacob, right? This was a moment where he's probably realizing what selfish, ambitious actions can do and the pain and wounding that it can cause other people when you're only thinking about yourself because it's now happened to him. But the story doesn't continue on here with Jacob. We're going to read about Jacob in the coming chapters. It doesn't focus on Rachel. It, it doesn't focus on Laban. Instead, it focuses on Leah, who has been like in the shadows this whole time, never, not really spoken about. Focuses on her. And here's what it says in verse 31. It says, the Lord saw that Leah was hated. I mean, literally, this means that she was hated. Hated by Jacob, hated by her family. I mean, she is alone. She is overlooked. She's hated. And so God opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. See, Leah is the unloved wife. She is overlooked, and she's feeling alone, and she's in a marriage where her husband wants nothing to do with her and didn't want to marry her. And his like, only words to her that we know of so far, it's Leah, right? And it says that God looks on her with compassion, and, and what God does is he brings her a blessing, and he opens her womb so that she can have children, an amazing blessing. And it says that Rachel was barren. And this was difficult for Rachel 
as is difficult for anybody struggling with infertility. And this is a common theme in the Old Testament, actually. You see Abraham's wife, Sarah, is barren until God miraculously opens her womb. And then Jacob's father, Isaac, his wife, Rebekah, was barren until God miraculously opens her womb. And now Rachel again is barren, but Leah has been blessed with children. And she's able to conceive, and she conceives many children. But one of the things that you're going to see as we read about Leah is that her sole focus and her sole desire, which is understandable, is she just wants her husband to love her. She just wants his affection. And so here's what it says in verse 32. It says that Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Reuben's name literally means see a son. It's like, wow, I have a son. But what's interesting about his name is that Leah has created, she's much better than her father who just named female sheep and cow. She's creatively reinterpreted an acronym. She's made this acronym out of Hebrew. Reuben's name is an acronym. And here's what Reuben's name stands for. Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction for my husband will love me. That's what his name means. It's an acronym for that. And it's interesting that the first son, as God blesses her with a child and she receives this blessing from God, she recognizes that it is in fact from God, right? She recognizes that the blessing has been given to her. God has been gracious and merciful and compassionate. The first part of his name means that God has looked upon me and my affliction and look what he's given me, a son. But look at the second half of Reuben's name has to do with the husband, Jacob. For now, my husband will love me. See, Leah gets it. She understands the blessings that God has given her are, in fact, from God, that God has been merciful and God has been compassionate and loving and caring to her. But notice what she thinks the blessing is going to be used for so that she can get Jacob's love. So she recognizes the blessing is from God, but her chief desire in life is to achieve her husband's love, which is understandable, but it feels a little bit off. When you read that, you're like, it feels like maybe the blessings of God aren't supposed to be used for things like that. And so the question is, what is the purpose of God's blessing? See, what Leah wants to do is she wants to have a child so that she can get Jacob's love, but how? Because she has something, and she's able to do something that is crucial, and that is bear children for Jacob. And so she wants to use Reuben to elevate herself above Rachel, who has probably always been viewed as superior to her. And she wants to use Reuben so that she can go to Jacob and say, look, Jacob, I can have kids, and Rachel can't. Why don't you begin to desire me? Why don't you begin to love me. See, it, it feels a little off because it feels like we're not supposed to maybe use God's blessing for that. So the question is, what are we supposed to use God's blessings for? I want to kind of take a moment, and we're not going to list out all the blessings, but think about the things that God has, has done in your life and the things that he's given to you, the different blessings that he's brought to you. We've been talking about blessings the last two weeks, and we haven't been talking specifically, though, about the purpose of them. So how has God blessed you? Maybe it's financial security. Maybe it's your career that you love. Maybe it's a romantic relationship. Maybe it's kids. Maybe he's given you a sharp and creative mind. Maybe you have a unique gift. Maybe you're in the trials right now and God has given you peace. 
Maybe you've been struggling with something and been tempted by something time and time again, and God is beginning to give you freedom in that. What are the blessings that God has given you? Deep friendship. Think about the blessings that God has given you, and then ask yourself this question, why has God given these to me? Is it simply for me to use them for my personal benefit, like Leah? She recognizes that the blessing is, in fact, from God, that God has been gracious and compassionate and merciful to her, but then she takes that blessing and she says, I'm going to now use this to cast down Rachel so that I can get the thing I want more than anything, which is Jacob's love. Why did God give you the blessings that you have? Why does he give blessings? 2 Corinthians 9 gives us some insight. Here's what it says. It says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. It's saying that that God is going to bless you abundantly. He's going to bring you all types of blessings, what you need, so that you may use them for good work, which means that blessings are to be used. But the question is, for what? 2 Corinthians 9 goes on and it speaks about how God is generous and how he gives generously to his people so that his people can be generous to others. Verse 12 says this of 2 Corinthians 9, the service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's overflowing with many expressions of thanks to God. So here's what it's saying. Blessings are given to you by God for the fulfilling of the needs of God's people. God has given you blessings so that you may bless others, that you may be generous. They're not to be used for you alone. They're to be used for other people, that you might use the time and the talent and the treasure and all the things that God has given you to bless other people, to fulfill the needs that others have. And The reason is, is because it will result in the chief aim of blessings, and the chief aim of the purpose behind blessings is that people will praise God, so that many thanks will be given to God. So I've been thinking about that this week. You know, if if blessings have been given to you and been given to me from God, and first, this first step, like Leah, is to recognize that they are, in fact, from God, that we didn't manufacture them on our own, that he gave them to us. He was compassionate and gracious and merciful. And, and then we think about the blessings that God has given us, and we're to use them to bless and to be generous to other people, to fulfill the needs that are put in front of us, so that many people who are seeing that activity in the way that we use the things that have been given to us by God might actually turn and praise God then there's a question or a prayer that I think we should be asking time and time again. I want to encourage you to do something. I don't say this a lot, but like write this down. It's really simple. Write it down or put it in your phone. And I want you tonight, right now, tomorrow morning, to take a moment and to actually pray this prayer specifically. And here's what the prayer is. God, how do you want me to use this blessing for others and ultimately for your praise? And so what that necessitates is that you, before you pray, you write down the thing that you believe that God has blessed you with. What is it? A friendship, a job, a relationship, children, your, your mind and your intellect, relationships that God has given you, peace, joy, your faith. Write it down and then just say, God, 
how do you want me to use this for others and ultimately for your praise? Because the reality is what we see here is that blessings are never to be kept in. Now, we get to benefit from them, right? We enjoy them. That's God's grace to us is as he gives blessing, we enjoy it, but they're not meant solely for us. And the reason that we often misuse God's blessings that have been given to us, and the reason I oftentimes misuse God's blessings, is because you and me both, we have misplaced affections. Our affections are misplaced. We aim because our blessings will always be used for where our heart is directed. Where the deepest affection of your heart, the thing that you want more than anything, where you aim your heart, is where your blessings are going to go. You're going to use your blessings to achieve that thing. And as we see here in the story, what Leah wants more than anything, though she believes in God and she recognizes what God has done in her life, what she wants more than anything is Jacob's love. And so she uses her children in order to get that love. She uses God's blessing in order to get that love. Robert Frost said, love is an irresistible desire to be irresistibly desired. That's really true. That at the core, we all want to be desired. We want to be loved. At the core of who we are. And so what happens is so much of our life is in that pursuit of being desired, of being loved. It could be romantically. You want to be romantically desired by somebody. And so everything in your life is being used to be desired by somebody else. Or it could be everything in your life is being used to be desired by somebody else who's looking at what you've achieved and saying, wow, they've made it. They have a great life how smart they are. Look what they've been able to achieve. We want to be desired. And this is irresistible desire to be irresistibly desired by other people. And if you're like me, this is where we begin to turn our heart and our affections is to try to get that from other people. And so what happens is we begin to use God's blessings to get those things from other people. Instead of directing it, to bless other people so that people may not praise us, but they may in fact praise God who gave us the blessing in the first place. And if you're like me and if you're like Leah, it takes us a long time to recognize that we have misplaced affections and that we misuse God's blessings. It takes Leah a few times here as well. Here's what it says in verse 33. She conceived again and bore a son. And she said, because the Lord has heard that I'm hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I've borne him three sons. Therefore, his name will be called Levi. See, her next two sons, both their naming is in reference to her situation with her husband. Simeon's name means the Lord has heard that I'm hated. <laughs> That's a great name. Thanks, Mom. Right? It's in reference to the fact that she's hated by her husband. She can't get away from that. And she has a third son, and Levi's name means this. My husband will be attached to me. I'm sure Levi was really thankful for that one. All these names are in reference to Jacob. They have nothing to do with who they are. She continues to be consumed with wanting to take 
Jacob and to be attached to him. And so she uses God's three gracious blessings, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. And she says, I'm even going to name them. It has to do with the thing that my heart desires more than anything because I'm going to use them to try to get Jacob to love me because it's what I want more than anything. And it doesn't work. See, Leah is a mirror to us in many ways. She's a mirror not only because she has misplaced affections and she misuses God's blessings, but because she's stubborn. And we are all stubborn. It doesn't work with Reuben, so she thinks maybe it's going to work with Simeon. It doesn't work with Simeon, so she says surely it's going to work with Levi, the third son, and it doesn't work. And what is true of her, which is also true of us, is that it often takes us at least three times to get something. But God is consistently patient with us. It's a very famous story in the New Testament with the Apostle Peter. He has this conversation with Jesus before Jesus is arrested and crucified. And he says, listen, I'm never going to deny you. Like, it's never going to happen. And Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, Jesus, I'm going to cut this guy's ear off for you. Like, I'm never going to do it, man. So then Jesus is arrested, and the night that he's betrayed, Peter is asked by someone who notices him, and he's, he's seen him with, with Jesus before, and say, hey, hey, you know Jesus. Peter's like, no, 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 I don't, I don't know Jesus. I don't even know who that guy is. I'm just kind of over here, right? Someone asks him again, you, you know who Jesus is. You're his friend. No, 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 I don't, I don't know him. And it isn't until the third time that he denies Christ that it hits him, that he gets it. It says that he runs away and weeps bitterly. And then after, he's Three times it's taken him to recognize the fact that he did, in fact, deny Christ. He meets Jesus after his resurrection. He's sharing a meal in John 21, and they're, they're eating, and Jesus has this conversation with Peter, and, and he says to Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, what do you mean do I love you? Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus says, okay, feed my sheep. Care for my people. And they're walking, and then Jesus looks at Peter again, and he says, Peter, do you love me? You know, Peter's getting a little, like, you don't have to ask me again. You just asked me, Jesus. Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus says, feed my sheep. And, you know, Peter's getting a little frustrated probably by now, and Jesus looks at me and says, Peter. Peter's like, yeah? He says, do you love me? And at this point, it says it hurts Peter. Because he gets it after three times. He says, Lord, you know all things. And you know that I love you. See, he's attached the three times with the three times that he's denied him. Just a few days ago. And he gets it and he says, feed my sheep. And then what Peter does from that point on is he goes out. And he uses all of the blessings that God has given him to lead thousands upon thousands of people to Christ, to be the rock of the church, and to be one of the most influential people in the history of the church. But it took him three times. And it takes Leah as well three times, just like it takes us three times to really get it, to get what God is saying. And it says this in verse 35, and she conceived again after the third time, and she bore a son, and this time, here's what she said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah, and she ceased bearing children. 
See, Judah's name means, this time I will praise the Lord. It has no association with Jacob. It's only directed to God. Her fourth blessing, after the three times when she's failed to get it, she finally gets it, that the blessing that God has given her is to be used in service to God, is to be used to bring praise to God. That the blessings that come your way are used for the benefit of others that many might give thanks to God. And here's what's really cool about Judah. Judah is a blessing to millions of people, including all of us here, because from Judah and his line comes David. And then after David comes Jesus in the line of Judah. You see, we are here because we have been blessed by Judah. The blessing that God has given Leah in bearing a son named Judah because Jesus Christ comes from his line and we have received the greatest blessing, which is Christ. And so if you do a quick survey of your life and you think about the ways that God has blessed you, you're going to recognize that you have blessing upon blessing upon blessing. There are so many things that you have been given that you didn't earn, you didn't deserve. There's a part of who you are. And God has been gracious and merciful with each and every one of us. And what Genesis 29 reminds all of us here is that every single one of us seeks validation through love. We want to be validated through love. And if we are honest, we will aim our affections at many other things and many other people. And oftentimes, we're not aiming the depth of our affections at God. And therefore, our blessings are going to be used in pursuit of those things instead of in pursuit of bringing praise to God by blessing other people. Whether that desire and that affection be a romantic relationship, whether that desire or that affection may be the admiration of others, whether it be wanting and desiring respect from others or love and a friendship, desire drives us. And what God reminds us through Leah is that we are to aim our affections at him. And when we aim our affections at him, as she does finally after three times with Judah, and she names Judah with no association to Jacob, and she says, this time I will praise the Lord. Judah, you are going to be a blessing to other people, and you are going to be a blessing that's going to bring many to come to praise the God who has given you to me. That when we aim our affections at God, our blessings will follow, and our blessings will be used for the things that God desires them to be used for. Job 121 is a very sober reminder to us, and it, it says this, The Lord gave and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Right? God gives blessings time and time and time again to us, over and over. And as we've been talking about the past couple weeks, we can't do anything to mess it up. As Tilki had shared in her story, she came to realize that she's not going to mess up the things that God has planned for her. She's not going to mess up the blessings. God is going to continue to be faithful to you. And he's going to pour out blessings upon your life. But those things can be taken away. But there's one blessing that remains, and that's the Lord. There's one blessing that is not finite and is not temporary, and that is the fact that you have come here, you've gathered here, whether you're searching right now, and you, if you've been here and you're a part of this family and you believe in faith in Jesus Christ, if that is true of you, you've come to the place where you recognize that you have been given a blessing that is never going to be removed from you, and it cannot be taken away. And when you really sit on that, and when you really remind yourself of that, that God loves you and he forgives you and he gave his life for you on the cross and he was buried in the ground and he came forth three days after and now he's calling you like he's called Peter to use your blessings to care for others, to feed his sheep, 
that many might come to praise him. It drives you to that end because you're loved by God. You're united to him and you're not gonna mess that up. He's not gonna take that away, ever. So aim your affections at God and then use your blessings for the benefit of others that they might come to praise God.